Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, so far, the month of February is just four trading days old. And already the U.S. dollar index is down just over 3%. We closed January at 99.6 something. And we closed today at 96.5. The dollar index is just getting crushed. Gold going the other way. Gold now up about $13 today, closing above 11.55. The price of gold so far in the first four days of February is up almost 3.5%. But that shows you that most of the move in gold is the result of the dollar going down. Yes, gold's up a little bit, uh, but only in terms of dollars. It's not up that much in terms of other currencies. This move, I think, is just getting started. But what is actually happening now is the markets are beginning to price in the fact that the Fed is not going to raise rates in March. Right. They're going to wait till June. So instead of getting four rate hikes this year, we're only going to get three. And I think that's the only thing that is now driving the markets. And obviously, if the markets were more realistic about what the Fed is likely to do, which is not raise rates at all, which is cutting them below zero, which is launching QE4, those are all the things that are going to be done. But none of these things are yet factored into the market. Yet despite that, we're still seeing all this momentum in the dollar and in uh, gold. Gold stocks, of course, are just soaring. Uh, many of these names have been up, you know, 5 to 10% a day each day uh, so far in February. But you know what? None of this is attracting the attention on Wall Street. I saw this guy on CNBC Today uh, that was asked to talk about rising gold stocks. Of course, they don't ask me to talk about rising gold stocks. They just ask this guy. And he basically said, well, it's short covering. He said that maybe, you know, you can you can buy them for a month or so and they'll keep rising. But you got to get ready to get out and get back short because they're all going to make new lows because he talked about how lousy the fundamentals are for these stocks. The fundamentals are not lousy. They've never been lousy. The only reason that they've appeared lousy is because everybody thought the dollar would keep rising because they believed the U.S. had a recovery and the Fed would keep raising rates. This guy still doesn't understand that that isn't true. But, you know, the media is still so biased, not just the media, people on Wall Street. I was on CNBC Europe last night, not CNBC America, because, again, they won't have me on CNBC in the United States. They'll have me on in Europe, but they don't really have me on in the United States. So I was on CNBC Asia and I was debating this guy. I don't remember what his name was or where he worked, but I think he was in Australia at the time. He was traveling, but he's based he's based here in the U.S. And. This guy was so clueless. You got to watch this video of, of, of me with this guy because this guy was talking as if the U.S. economy was fantastic. I mean, he couldn't go. He couldn't, you know, stop talking about how great the, the economy was in America. Like, what? Where, where is this guy living? 
He's talking about this strong jobs market, how household balance sheets are in great shape. Consumers have paid down their debt. Their real incomes are rising because gas is cheaper. We've got such a great economy. I mean, give me a break. I mean, the only reason that some consumers have better balance sheets is because they no longer have a house, right? Homeownership is at a 50-year low. So, yes, consumers don't have the liability, but they also don't have the asset. But I, I, don't, I don't even buy this. I mean, there's all kinds of car loans, auto debt, student loans, uh, credit card debt, and people, real incomes are not rising. They're falling. And, and even if gas prices are coming down, rents are going up, right? Insurance costs are going up. Um, you know, health insurance, uh, your, your utility bills. I mean, the, most costs are going up. The only thing that's not going up is gasoline, but that's not enough. But this guy is like ignoring all the bad economic news, just like everybody else is ignoring all the bad economic news and just assuming that the economy is great. You know, this other guy on CNBC that writes for CNBC.com, you know, he's the guy that wrote this kind of hit piece on me not too long ago, making fun of me because he said I, I made the worst call ever on CNBC because I said gold was going to go higher when it was at 1700 and it went down. And he said, you know, that was the worst call ever made in the history of CNBC, which, of course, isn't even close to being true. Uh, there's been so many uh, calls that are way worse than that uh, that were made on CNBC. In fact, they're made every day and no- nobody writes articles, uh, you know, calling the people out for getting something wrong. But he had to write another article on why gold's going up. And he basically said it's going up because of inflation being too low. And he said, you know, it's ironic because guys like Peter Schiff are trying to push gold by saying inflation is going up. And he said gold's going up, but not because of the reason I think. His idea was when inflation is really low, it means that central banks will make negative interest rates and those negative interest rates are good for gold. Because, you know, he actually said or he wrote, rather, he didn't say this, he wrote it, that my idea that the economy would slow and we would have inflation, he said, didn't even make sense because he said that inflation is higher when the economy is strong and inflation is low when the economy is weak, which is exactly backwards. That is not how it works. If you have a strong economy that is productive and producing more goods, strong economies keep prices low. In fact, a really strong economy will be so productive that prices will come down. It's weak economies that lack production that end up having higher prices. And of course, it's those weak economies. Generally, they produce budget deficits. And so the central banks have to print a lot of money and do also th- all sorts of bad things to, quote unquote, stimulate the economy. And so that's where you get the inflation. And of course, I argue with this guy, too, because... He still wants to define inflation as rising prices, even though inflation is an expansion of the money supply. And people want to accuse me of redefining inflation. I'm not. I'm using the original definition. You get an old dictionary, an old Webster dictionary, and the word inflation just says expansion of money supply. That's it. That's what it is. They don't even mention the word prices. I mean, eventually they started uh, using longer definitions, you know, an expansion of the money supply that results in a rise in prices. They, they eventually did that. But now they cut off the first part and they're just redefining inflation as rising prices. But th- that's not a real definition. It's the government that wants people to be confused about what inflation is and where it comes from because the government's the source of it. And so the government doesn't want people blaming government for inflation. So by changing the definition to rising prices, now the government can blame anybody. They can blame greedy businessmen. They can claim blame uh, labor unions. They can blame OPEC, right? When inflation is defined as an increase in the supply of money, well, who's to blame for that? Who controls the money supply? The government. So they didn't want the public to be able to make that link. So in George Orwell type fashion, right, they redefined 
what in inflation is. But, you know, when he wants to say, talk about all of the bad calls I've made on CNBC, you know, what have the calls been lately? I mean, think about this. I was on CNBC, mainly on their website, before the Fed raised rates. And I made three market predictions on CNBC. Three predictions. All three have come true. I said, one, if the Fed raises rates, the stock market's going to tank. And the Fed raised rates and the stock market tanked. And in fact, they tried to throw that in my face because I was also on the show the day after they raised rates and the market was rising and they were making fun of me. They said, ha ha, Peter, you said if the Fed raised rates, the market would go down and look, it's gone up. And they were trying to point out that I was wrong. Well, you know, I said, give it some time, you know, stop claiming victory. It's been one day, right? It didn't even take that long for the market to tank. But why did I say the market was going to tank? Well, the conventional wisdom was if the Fed raises rates, it's going to be good because it's going to show the Fed is confident in the economy. And if the Fed is raising rates, it must mean because the economy is strong and therefore a strong economy is good for the stock market. What I said was, no, if the Fed does raise rates, it's going to be doing it into a weak economy. In fact, it's probably did it in a recession, right? They probably raised rates in a recession. And, and so that's not good for stocks, right? Because, I mean, recessions are bad for stocks, and so are rate hikes. But imagine having both together. Normally, you don't. Normally, when there's a recession, the Fed is stimulating. Now you have the Fed with a contractionary monetary policy in a contraction. They're trying to slow down an economy that's already in recession. So that's a disaster. But the other thing I said, because people were saying, well, you know, we don't have to worry about the rate hikes because historically, right, when the Fed raises rates, then, uh, you know, we get a couple of years. It takes two years before the market goes down. And I said on CNBC, I did a whole podcast on this. I wrote a commentary on this. I said, this is nonsense. You can't go back and look at historical precedents uh, because this is unprecedented. We've never had interest rates at zero for seven years. So what happens when you raise interest rates from zero after they've been there for seven years, that has nothing to do with what happened in a normal uh, easing tightening cycle when the Fed lowers interest rates to a low amount and then, you know, raises them back up. This is this is totally unprecedented. But I also made the point that if you want to go back to the first tightening, you have to go back to the taper talk two years ago. So my point was, if the Fed does raise rates, we'd be two years into the tightening cycle, not the beginning. So we didn't have all this extra time that people were banking on. And that's exactly what happened. So I got that one right. But I also said that if the Fed raised rates, Gold prices would rise. Everybody was unanimous that gold prices would fall if the Fed raised rates. I mean, that was a no-brainer, right? Higher rates are bad for gold. Higher rates are going to strengthen the dollar. So gold was supposed to collapse. Gold is up better than 100 bucks since that initial knee-jerk sell-off. And if you remember, I recorded a gold video blog, uh, and I specifically said that if the Fed raises rates and you get a knee-jerk move down, buy it. Because that's going to be a great buying opportunity. And that was the exact low. I mean, if you had bought that dip, you're $100 ahead already uh, on that buy. So gold has gone way up since the Fed raised rates. That's two for two. And my third prediction was that the dollar would go down. And up until a couple of days ago, that wasn't the case. But now the dollar is at a four-month low. It is down across the board. Every major currency is now higher than it was when the Fed raised rates. And the dollar chart looks quite weak. It looks to me like uh, we're going to continue to fall. So that's that's three for three. And why did I say the dollar 
was going to fall when the Fed raised rates, right? Because everybody believed that higher rates would be bullish for the dollar. My point was, yes, people had believed that for three years. The dollar rose for three years based on the idea that the Fed was going to raise rates. So I said it would be buy the rumor, sell the fact. But I also said the fact wouldn't live up to the rumor because I don't think we're going to get as many rate hikes as everybody was counting on. And that is also what's happening right now. The markets are now dialing back their expectations of how soon and how much the Fed is actually going to raise rates. And I said that. I said that the minute the Fed raises rates, the markets are going to start discounting the next easing cycle. And what they don't know yet is the next easing cycle is going to get started a lot sooner than anybody thinks. And so this dollar is going to be much weaker than everybody thinks. And gold is going to be much stronger. But let me get to the economic news that came out today, which also verifies what I've been saying. You know, one of the other forecasts that I made on CNBC, and they actually wrote an article about it and gave me, you know, uh, made fun of me for it, is I said that I thought we'd have a horrible Christmas, right? And they wanted to, you know, portray me as like the Grinch because I'm telling people they're going to have a horrible Christmas. And I didn't mean people. I meant the retailers. The retailers are going to have a horrible Christmas. And in fact, we did. We had the worst Christmas selling season since 2009 when we were in the Great Recession. And it wasn't just the bricks and mortars because Amazon reported weaker than expected holiday sales. That's why the stock is cratering. So I was right about that. But what did I also say? I also said that we're going to have a lot of layoffs in January. I said January was going to have a big uh, increase in layoffs. And what did we get? We got the report today from Challenger Job Cuts, uh, 75,000 announced layoffs about triple what was announced the month before. This is the biggest announced layoffs in a January since January 2009. So the last time companies announced this many layoffs in a January, we were in the Great Recession. <laughs> so again, another thing is happening that only seems to happen when we are in a recession. Now, we also got the weekly jobless claims that continue to edge up. They moved up to uh, 285,000 from 277. Uh, from the previous week. The consensus was 280. So again, above consensus, weekly unemployment claims, while still low, are at an 11-month high. So clearly, they are headed in the wrong direction from the perspective of people who think the labor market's in great shape. It is an 11-month high in weekly uh, unemployment claims. But we got more bad news coming out today. We got productivity and costs. And this is for the fourth quarter. And this also shows that we're probably going to get some downward revisions to the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter productivity was supposed to come in at minus 1.8. So people were relatively pessimistic. Well, they weren't pessimistic enough because it came out as minus three, minus three. Now, the third quarter uh, productivity was plus 2.1. That was revised slightly lower from the original estimate of plus 2.2. But huge decline in productivity and unit labor cost really spiked up four and a half percent. That's not good. You know, and a lot of those labor costs are probably health insurance and stuff like that. Just because labor costs go up, it doesn't mean that the workers put those costs in their pocket. It just means that it costs employers more money to hire people. And so all in all, that's a bad number to see the productivity falling that sharply. Now let's look at the factory orders, because this is a big number for GDP from last quarter. Because factory orders are part of GDP. Well, they were looking for minus 2.8, and we got minus 2.9. So not much worse than they were expecting, but you have to go back to the prior month to get the revision because they initially reported November at minus 0.2, and instead we got minus 0.7. 
So that's a pretty big difference. And so the minus 2.9 from December was versus a minus 0.7 from the prior month rather than a minus 0.2. So that makes the miss in December that much bigger uh, because you're falling from a lower level. And this was still the biggest drop uh, in over a year in factory orders. So all this is going to pull from fourth quarter GDP that was originally originally reported at just 0.7. So it's going down. I mean, even look, even the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index uh, edged down uh, from 44.6 to 44.2. I mean, all the news that came out today pretty much was bad, yet no one cares, right? Because supposedly the jobs market is still strong. And we're going to get this jobs number tomorrow. I'm probably going to do a video blog. I've kind of gotten into the habit now of doing these uh, video blogs every time we get a jobs number. And, and these job numbers keep on, they're, they're, they're good, right? Every time we get one, it's good. And again, it's only good superficially. It's good because, you know, we're creating all these part-time jobs. So obviously the numbers are going to be higher when you have to hire more people that work fewer hours. But for some reason, that simple fact is lost on everybody and everybody wants to pretend it doesn't exist. But that's fine, sure. Everybody wants to live in this fantasy world and they want to stay in there as long as possible. But one of these days, that bubble's going to burst because we're going to get a bad jobs number. And I don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow. We'll see. We also get the trade deficit, which is going to be another important number, both the current number and the revision from November because both of these numbers will factor into the fourth quarter GDP as to whether or not it's going to be a negative quarter. But of course, if it is a negative quarter, and if we end up getting another negative quarter, you know, somebody asked me uh, on uh, an interview, I think it was today, you know, when is, is it, when is the Fed going to admit that they were wrong, you know, and then lower rates? They're never going to admit that they were wrong. They've never done that. They haven't admitted to one mistake uh, from the 2008 financial crisis. They, they inflated the housing bubble. They caused that crisis, yet they have yet to admit that they did anything wrong. They will never admit. They did anything wrong. If the Fed has to lower rates or when they lower rates to negative and when they launch QE4, it's not going to be because they say they made a mistake. They're going to say that when they raised rates, it was the right thing to do. That given the data that existed at the time, they raised rates in an appropriate manner. What they're going to say is something happened after the rate hike that nobody could have possibly predicted. Just like they pretended nobody predicted the 2008 financial crisis, when many people did, myself included, they're going to do the same thing this time. They're going to say, we did exactly the right thing, but then out of the the blue, kind of like a meteor just freakishly landing, something that nobody could have seen coming, this happened. And since this crazy thing out of left field just happened and took everybody by surprise, well, now we have to react to it. Because we always said that we were data dependent. And so now, since the data has caught everybody by surprise and doing what nobody thought it would happen, well, now it's up to the Federal Reserve to save the day again. We're going to come back and we're going to do exactly what we did last time because we saved the economy from the last financial crisis. We saved the economy from the Great Recession. We're going to do it again, right? And what worked so well last time, as far as the Fed is concerned, lowering interest rates and printing a bunch of money and buying a bunch of bonds. That's the secret sauce uh, to the economic success. That's all you got to do. And it's not even a secret because they tell everybody what it is. So they're going to do it again. But of course, when you start your rate cutting cycle from a quarter of a point, just going to zero ain't going to give you much of a stimulus, right? So they got to go negative if they want to have much of an impact. And uh, of course, they're going to have to do a QE4. And, uh, but again, they're not going to say they did anything wrong. But hopefully, hopefully the markets will figure it out.
Also, more bad news today coming out of our nation's retailers. And again, this is another forecast that I made with respect to how I thought retail sales were going to go. You know, everybody is still so convinced that the consumer is so strong and they're expecting strong retail sales. After all, right, so many people have all these jobs. uh, They're going to go in and spend their paychecks at retailers. But I know that the jobs are low paying. They're part time. And people don't have extra money. Despite the lower gas prices, they're using their windfall, their savings from cheap gas. They're using that to pay their electric bills or they're paying their health care bills, whatever it is. So we got two retailers, Ralph Lauren and Kohl's, getting decimated uh, during the trading because they reported lower than expected results from the fourth quarter. And they uh, guided lower for this quarter and this year. Ralph Lauren down 22% today to a new uh, 52-week low or multi-year low. Uh, Kohl's, similar decline, down about 19%. Uh, This is what's going on, retailers. And again, it's not just bricks and mortar because Amazon had the lousy quarter as well. And then after the close, LinkedIn came out with bad news and the stock is plunging 28% in after hours. Now, how does LinkedIn make money, right? They make money from corporate customers who are looking to hire people, recruit people, and so they use LinkedIn, and that's, I think, their, their biggest source of revenue. Well, corporations aren't spending as much money to use LinkedIn to hire people. What does that tell you about the pace of hiring? I mean, it tells you that the labor market is not nearly as strong as everybody thinks if companies that earnings are tied to recruitment and hiring, if those companies are disappointing expectations. So the retailers are getting decimated. All these companies uh, are are showing lower than expected earnings. All of this stuff is consistent with a recession. All of the economic news that we get is consistent with recession, except for that one lone outlier, the jobs data. And again, Wall Street is willing to completely dismiss everything else that they see. And they just stare at this one indicator. And as long as they see that 200,000 jobs a month, as long as they see that low unemployment rate, that 5%, then they think everything must be great and that it doesn't matter what else is happening. So what's going to happen is one day... We're going to get a bad number. Maybe that day is going to be tomorrow. And this whole bubble is going to prick all at once. Because It should have happened gradually. People should have figured it out based on all this evidence mounting day after day, month after month. But no, people look the other way, blindly staring at this one data point, thinking it's good, and not even bothering to peer beneath the surface. And again, they don't have to look that deep. It's pretty obvious what's behind these so-called good jobs numbers. And it's obvious that it's a farce, but it's just because nobody wants to believe it. That's the only thing that makes sense to me because it's so easy to figure this out. It's not rocket science. So it's gotta be because the people who aren't admitting it simply don't want to. They, they, they don't wanna know the truth, right? Yeah, it's like Morpheus tries to give that pill to in the matrix, right? Or, or the one guy that talks about the pill, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to take that pill or he doesn't want reality because fantasy is a lot better than reality, especially when the reality is that you're a human battery and you're living in a post-apocalyptic world, right? I'd rather live in that fantasy world where everything seems nice, right? And so all the people that want to believe that the economy is great and that what the Fed did worked and this is a real recovery and everything is fantastic. 
They can't believe that if they want to acknowledge the problems with the jobs numbers. And so they're completely ignoring all the problems and pretending everything is fine. Well, pretty soon, they're not going to be able to pretend anymore. And I think what's already happening in the dollar and with the gold market is telling us that the days of make-believe are soon going to come to an end. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into the Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.